When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. My name is David Priest, former goalkeeper, now goalkeeping coach at Ostersunds FK in Sweden. So I was talking to... Um, our friend Luke Moore a, a while back and um, I was saying that um, in, in a far lesser way that when I was a kid um, and I was growing up on my estate I never imagined where work would take me and I think if I if like 10 or 12 year old me got a window into my life and now as an adult I just couldn't compute it. It would just blow his mind, like where I'd been and, and, and what I'd done. So for you, having achieved the dream of becoming a professional footballer and now in what, having played in four different countries and now coaching in a, in a fifth, what would 10 or 12-year-old David have thought? <clears throat> He'd probably be disappointed. I think <laughs> simply because it, really yeah I think so just because from a very young age I always uh, had a I don't know just a feeling or a desire to, to play uh, in the top European league right think, you know, really yeah just because I fell in love with uh, first fell in love with like the the Danish and French national teams of the uh, of eighty-six World yeah. Cup yeah so the eighty-six World Cup was my first real World Cup where I took real notice of it the same and uh, yeah so it was. 
you know, uh, you know, you know, I always talk about um, the the World Cup video that came after that hero, the one that was narrated by um, Michael Caine. Yeah, yeah. And um, the music was by Rick Wakeman, I think it was. And so it, that's where like my love of European football came from, and then. After that, then obviously because of Serie A, there was uh, you know the the Germans and the Dutch were going to Serie A. So I, for birthdays, my father would buy me like uh, the compilation, the goal compilation. Uh, One hundred and ten great goals, Italia style. Yeah, like that. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, but yeah. The, the one there was ones for like for each season. Yeah, you can find them on YouTube now. I've, I've went back and, and watched them a lot of times, like you know and. Uh, loads of uh, names, random names stick in my head, like Ramon Diaz and people like that. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it, it was uh, Pietro Paolo Verdes. Uh, do you know what? It, it, uh, I, I, I fell in love with these videos as much as I did with the game. Yeah. And then, uh, so from then on, it was kind of like, oh, oh, like Platini. I, so I took great interest in, in Platini, and then for some reason, sort of a big uh, interest in Sanetti. I thought, oh, I'd love to go and play in France. And then that was that. For me, that was the. Uh, the dream, really, and then I got to 29, and I'd not really—I had a chance to go to Belgium when I was really young, right? And that uh, that didn't quite come off, but then uh, yeah, I got to 29, got a chance to go to Denmark, and then really enjoyed it. And, and I wish I'd done it years before, and I wish I'd, I'd kind of been more proactive in trying to uh, in trying to push for push a move uh, abroad, really. Uh, so what what was it? Do you think you would? just in your comfort zone or you felt you had, still had stuff to do in the British game or maybe you just needed to be a little braver what, what do you think it was? It was probably the, the same thing that's, that's hindered me most of my career even in England and Scotland I didn't think I'd be good enough to, to play abroad Right, okay So like um, I'd always felt that um, I'd always thought I'd never been of the mind that English goalkeepers were always the best I never thought that Right so even when I was younger, when you had the likes of uh, Shilton and Neville Southall, who were among the best at the time, yes. especially uh, to me, Neville Southall was at the time was the, the best there was. He was incredible, like late eighties. Yeah, yeah. And, and so middle uh, eighties, and he became a bit of a hero. And, and uh, you know, reading books about him, he, he had the uh, couple of, one book on goalkeeping where it was. I kind of got my ethos from that about hard work. You know, he kept. Uh, repeating over and over that uh, you have to work hard and I used to watch him go for a warm up it's like yeah an hour and a half before the game he'd start a warm up like you know yeah. and, uh, and when, from one extreme to another I remember reading about some days he'd just go and have a, a bath to warm up before a game other, <laughs> other, other days he'd be there like an hour and a half you know taking other goalkeepers out with him when it wasn't a done thing you know when it, you know somebody went out and kicked a few balls at you and, and yeah. that was you warmed up but um, yeah so around that time I didn't really uh, I think that British goalkeepers were actually the best the way that we thought that they were. So who who were your gold standard of goalkeepers then, if you had to name a nation when when you were a, a, a kid developing? Yeah, Germany. Yeah, and mm. and always uh, have been really because that um, my father uh, talked about Sepp Meyer. Obviously, it was before my time. You okay, know? and then um, and I used to read up. Lo- lo- a lot about goalkeepers, obviously about Lev Yashin, and yeah. um, and then in the in the mid eighties, then uh, go back to the the World Cup, the likes of uh, Bats, Joel Bats, and, um, and people like that, and, and it was I, I don't know, it wasn't just the style of football, particularly the style of football that uh, that foreign teams played, but I never got this 
uh, this thing about foreign goalkeepers or continental goalkeepers being fl- uh, flappy. Well, yeah, or, or being like uh, extravagant, and yeah. it just seemed to me that they made the same be more athletic and uh, yeah, more like a gymnast than a than a goalkeeper. To me, English goalkeepers. I mean, I'm probably really generalising here, but from back then, my memory of goalkeepers would been really sort of. I want to say a wooden, but it's, it's probably being really disrespectful. To <laughs> but it was—it was just like this, the, all these foreign goalkeepers seem like gymnasts, and, and so sort of there seemed to be more, a lot more to them. Yeah, more like a, yeah, another dimension to them than, than British goalkeepers. I remember when I lived in Leon about um, must be about ten years ago now. Um, I, I was—I had a mate over from Newcastle actually, and we wandered into the the, the stadium, the old stadium, the Jerlon one day, because they just not locked it, and he wanted to have a bit of a look, even though it was a non-match day. And the Leon staff were playing the women's team, and obviously they've got a really good women's mm. team. But the staff—they had um, uh, Sunny Anderson playing yeah. up front. Joel Batts was in goal. He could still play. He could still play. And he, he's he like still 50. have the hair though. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very, very curly. Just a, a, a lot, a lot grayer. So, f- for you, to, hearing you talk so passionately about um, goalkeepers and what goalkeepers you like, you always wanted to be a goalkeeper, or yeah. like you were never an outfielder. No, never. It was just because my dad was a. Uh, my, my dad started off as central defender when he was younger. Okay. Broke his leg and then became a goalkeeper. And then became like a, a good sort of semi-pro goalkeeper. Okay. And then, uh, so that's all I remember was that what going to watch him play as a kid, being taken along sitting. It used to be a place called Tunstall Hill in Sunderland, and okay. it's like the the highest point in Sunderland. It's like. Up there in the middle of summer, it's still snowing and <laughs> windy and rain, you know. So I just got there with my, my father, watch him play, and that's all I ever wanted to do. Yeah, uh, was be a goalkeeper, or just be like him. Yeah, and then uh, so that was it. And it, it's not like I, I didn't even think about it. So there was no choice to be made. I just was going to be a goalkeeper. That was it. And um, is it, uh, I, I would never say that. Yeah, I could have been an outfield player. Could have been really good, but. Oh, I don't think I would have been. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I, I guess then Sunderland is the the, the closest ob- ob- objective, and you ended up there at Sunderland. I mean, that must have been a, a big thing for, for your mates and, and, and stuff when when you signed as a pro there. Yeah, huge. But I mean, that, uh, but for me, it was the only place I wanted to to sign. Mm. Back then, you couldn't sign for a club until you were 13. But I enjoyed going to different clubs so much that I didn't sign. I didn't sign for Sunderland until I really had to. Right. So then you, I could reel off all the, the clubs I would go to regularly. Like uh, I got I'd go to Manchester United. I go to their um, school of excellence on a Wednesday night. They had a school of excellence in the northeast. So what? It's, it's kind of like they're all courting you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and right. I, I just loved going. So, like six weeks holidays would be spent at a w- sort of a week at every club. Oh wow! So going to, to Villa or Ipswich, Middlesbrough. That's amazing. I could see yeah. why you would love that. Yeah, yeah. It was brilliant, and it was like, um, and but I made a conscious decision that with my dad that we weren't going to sign for anybody, and we would wait the last po- possible moment so we get the, have the best choice. So that. I'd, Whoever I signed for, then that was, you know, I'd had a lot of thought put into it. But so, then, but then it, all I was doing was waiting for someone to ask me to sign for. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you, you said that you wanted to kind of mould yourself in the 
image of your dad. How important was he when it came to the age of making choices and stuff in, in helping you to make your decisions? When it, when it came to that point, he, he was pivotal, really. But, but in a way that we'd got to a point in our relationship where he allowed me to, to make my own decisions. Mm. So from being you know, on school teams when I was like eight, nine years old, I'd, I'd always play for teams that were older than me. So, I'm, so for the first couple of years when I was playing, I never played with my friends. I always played with the, the, you know, the year above or two years above. Okay. Yeah. So, and it wasn't. I found that less enjoyable. And then when uh, when my father was on the the sidelines, I know that he was only trying to help me. But at the same time, it was a bit overbearing and I was concentrating on more what he was saying to me than I was on the games. Yeah. So then that sort of snowballed till I was about 13 where we had a big argument and uh, about him talking to me while I was while I was playing and, right. try, and trying to coach me while I was on the pitch to the point where he said, OK, then I won't then. And then from then on, our relationship was a lot better in that respect because it just allowed me to get on with my football. And then, so then, even though... You're lucky. My dad always used to do that to me when I was driving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, but it, it, I can see now as a... I mean, I, I don't have a son. I have a daughter, but I think I would be exactly the same way. I wouldn't be able to help myself. And so in some ways, I've, I prefer, I'd prefer not to have a son so I wouldn't be as overbearing as perhaps my father was. So, but then when it, when it comes to making decisions and me being old enough to make my, uh, my decisions, he was fully behind it, you know? So I think it was, he just wanted what was best for me. And then it, it came the day where you, you decided you, you had to leave Sunderland if you were gonna get games and stuff. Yeah. How did that work? And was it a really difficult decision to make? Um, or, or was it made quite easy? No, no, it, it was it was made it was made a lot simpler for me really by the fact that um, I sat down with Peter Eden's office mm. and uh, you know I, I, he'd been in with a player earlier just before me and then he you know I went in the office and he says you know uh, he was complaining about his player because they, they didn't they weren't the attitude wasn't very good you know and we'd, right and then he moved on to me and he was saying oh, look. Attitude is great. You, you work really hard, um, but um, yeah, if you're here next next season, you're going to be in the same position. I'd, be, I'd, I'd spent the best part of those two, like the last two seasons injured. Prior to that, we'd uh, Peter Reid had sort of sat me down and said, "You're going to be my number two. I'm going mm. to bring Brad Friedel in. We're going to sign Brad Friedel, you're, and you're going to be my number two. Oh wow! And then, uh, and at the time, I was probably about 19 at the time. And so then I was on the bench a lot, and it was really, um, yeah, that, that was like I think and right, well that's it. I've, I've done a lot of hard work. I'm getting to where I want to be now, and then mm. it's only a matter of time before I get in the first team and they give me a game in the the league cup. Uh, and and unfortunately, before uh, before games, I was supposed to make two twice. I was supposed to make my debut against Leicester. Broke my arm twice. Right in the in the week before both games, so that it was. Um, yeah, and then Shea Given came. We had to bring Shea Given. Well, we didn't have to, but we brought Shea Given on loan. Yeah. So I'm out. I think it was about four months with a broken arm that wouldn't heal. Oh. And then, uh, yeah, standing the sidelines watching Shea, the, yeah, the sort of um, Shea Given's career just sort of start to flourish. You know, and it's it was frustrating. It's frustrating, but it's um, 
If I'd have known how good he would turn out to be for Newcastle, they wouldn't have done that. <laughs> no, no, exactly, yeah. But uh, no, I mean, she, she, you could, from the moment she came in, you could see how impressive he was, you know. I think he'd only he'd spent a, a couple of months on loan at, at Swindon. Because mm. you know, he, he still belonged to Blackburn, though. Yeah, right? Blackburn, yeah. yeah. I think um, Steve McMahon was manager of Swindon. Right. Obviously, Peter Reid had been on the front room. Close friends, sure, and uh, and you would see, yeah, from the moment he came in, you would see he was just a, a level above, like you know, you'd see, you, there was no doubt he was going to be the the keeper he turned out to be, you know, and, and yeah, and again another hard, really, really down to earth, really hard working, and uh, but a, a brilliant goalkeeper. So it was frustrating that uh, I didn't actually get my chance there, but like Peter Reid said, it's a cash twenty two. You'll be here next year and still be in the same position. And you need to go and get games, and then eventually, it, it turned out that was a, probably the best thing that I ever did was to to go to Darling. And eventually, you end up at Aberdeen, sort of rotating almost with another real legend of the game in in Jim Layton. I mean, you've you've played with some top goalkeepers. What did what did playing with Layton do for you? Uh, again, I mean, there's, there's a theme going through this that uh, he, he was an incredibly hard-working goalkeeper. And I mean, because he'd been there and come back, really, hadn't he, by that point? Because he'd been through that spell. I mean, he'd been part of that great Aberdeen team yeah. with, with, with Sir Alex. It started quite well at Manchester United, and then it went quite badly wrong. And then he ended up back where it all started. I mean, for, for, for a goalkeeper, like, how do you move on from those moments? Because like, all players have moments of... Of, of, of greater form and worse mm. form, unless you're Ronaldo or, Me- or Messi. But when you go through those moments of bad form as a goalkeeper, it's, it's a very, it's, it's almost like a public shaming, isn't it, really? Yeah. So, yeah. how did he deal with that, and how do goalkeepers in general deal with that? I, I think it's because I've always seen goalkeeping, I've said this before, I've always seen a goalkeeping, uh, goalkeeping as a, it's more of a battle with yourself than it is against strikers and the opposition. Okay. And if you win that battle with yourself, then you'll, you'll want to be go- become a goal, good goalkeeper. I'm not sure I ever did that. Mm. There was periods when I did, but... Um, what, not consistently, you mean? Yeah, exactly, yeah. So it was... Um, when when people talk about goalkeepers and having have mental strength, that's what it is. You're not actually overcoming the what whatever's happened to you or certain situations because if you've been a goalkeeper from an early age, you get used to overcoming these little bumps all the time. And then I think in in uh, as an outfield player, a midfielder can give the ball away. He gets a chance uh, seconds later to to win the ball back or within sixty seconds to 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 make a pass to correct that whereas you're, you're stood there thinking about it if if, yeah. if you've made a mistake that well if nine times out of ten if you make a mistake it leads to a goal yeah. as, as, as a goalkeeper I mean it's, it's funny when you watch football on, on television like if a goalkeeper makes a mistake it's almost it's almost sadistic isn't it like how the director like focuses on mm. them and they, they want to get that shot of them like, you know holding the glove to their face or you know looking up to the sky or whatever don't they yeah and, and I think if there's one thing that uh, I wish uh, that I did differently as a player was probably not to show those emo- emotions because I was a really emotional uh, person right uh, I could never hide it and I, and I loved it's I suppose a bit of a I don't know. Is it just juxtaposition? 
and maybe it's just the wrong word. I don't know. It's not very good for uh, somebody who's who's being a bit of a writer. But it, it was a. Uh, it's kind of like I love the uh, the emotion of it all. I loved as much as I uh, hated the the laws. I loved them as well because. Yeah. It, and and that's what uh, I missed in the few years where I try to get everything in check, try to get everything on a, on a balance, and try and take the emotion out of it, and be more uh, methodical in the way that I did things. And I didn't enjoy football at all, but I probably had the, the two or three best seasons of my career. Right. But I just didn't enjoy it. Because it's more like a job. Yeah, it was just it was just a process. Mm. It became just a process, and that, and. And that's what you miss when you when you stop playing. It's, you don't just miss the highs; you miss the lows as well. You you miss that feeling of, um, even though it's a, a low feeling and a feeling of sort of distress, it's also a feeling of fighting back. That feeling of right, I'm going to do better next time, and I can't play badly the next time. I've got to do better next time, and so it, well, it kind of tells it's you a cyclical process, you know, and it's and, and it's. Um, and and that's what you miss. You, you miss that motivation because sometimes I think when you when you stop playing, you get you don't have that reason to rise again. Yeah. And I think that uh, the setbacks can can have a bigger effect on you. So like um, with goalkeeping, it's um, it it is about overcoming these uh, mentally overcoming these setbacks, and you you do get used to it. And Jim. You know, Jim uh, suffered a really bad setback with the, you know, the, the, the carry on that happened with the blame for the the goals in the, the cup final in the night, yeah. the cup final against Crystal Palace, and he he, he was sent away. I think he went to Arsenal, Reading, Sheffield yeah. United on loan. All over the shop, yeah. Yeah, and rebuilt his career, and it took him eight years, really. If you mm. if you if you track it from that that FA Cup final to France '98, mm. that was his redemption, getting back into the. To the World Cup squad for yeah. and, and playing in the, his fourth World Cup, and and that's what that's what all goalkeeping was ever about, or eventually became for me was the the hard work and the uh, the the mental battles uh, about overcoming all these setbacks. And now there's an argument to say that if you were a good goalkeeper, you've got less uh, setbacks to to overcome. Mm. You know, so there's um, probably. Yeah, if if you're not the the best or one of the best, then you've got more to overcome than than others, you know. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. If we skip on to your, your media career, did broadcasting and writing change the way you viewed the game and change the way you view goalkeeping at all? Like stepping out of it for the first time in 20 years? Yeah. It's, um... Because it's, it's funny, I, I think fans and people who listen to this show and writers, sometimes we can assume that like, players are just like us, that the fans are just like us, that they'll watch as much football as us. That's not always the case. If I was a player... I wouldn't want to watch football mm. on, on my time off. I mean, what was, what was it like for you? Were you one of those players who watched a lot of football in your time off? And how did your relationship with watching football change once you started writing and broadcasting for a living? Nothing changed in, in the sense that um, I watch football constantly. Right. So, and it's not like now where you've got Y Scout and you can go and watch everything that's you know in preparation for games you can watch your clips you can watch uh, you know preparation for for position mm. you, it wasn't readily available it was really it used to be really hard to get sort of DVDs and footage of, of even of my own games when I played just to, to study them and, and see what I could have done better and I wish that's only the only reason why I wish I my, my career would have been now if I was born a little bit later mm. the fact that you could do all of this analysis because um, what you, you're hungry for that and it wasn't necessarily available yeah exactly so then you a lot of the time you if you're seeing footage of yourself on TV it's most of the time it's because you've conceded the goal mm. you know if you're seeing if it's just the goals that are on TV that has a, that can have a negative effect on you because like I said you, you, you're watching yourself concede goals but also that um I wanted to get better all the time, and I was sort of the, the details going to. I'll be change, constantly changing my um, my game because I thought, "Well, oh, this will make me better. Or oh, this, if I do this, it'll make me better." And is is that regret? Yes, a little bit. But I also think that if if the uh, resources were available to to look back, it's train like I said now, as we were talking before. We can watch every training session back from multiple angles now, mm. Uh, mm. and we can go into great detail about you know with every player. Uh, if we could have been able to do that, then it would have stopped a lot of a lot of doubts in my mind. Like I said, we talked about the, the the mental battles before. What you see through your eyes isn't actually always what and actually, the rest ha- of the world actually happens. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so it, it, it just gives yourself a change of perception. And one thing, once I started um, analysing my games, when that became available, and I was playing first team football, especially when I was at Aberdeen, you can get DVDs. I was always amazed how little you were involved as a goalkeeper, mm. uh, because in the game you feel part of the game. You you're actually right in the middle of it, and you you're connected to everything. Because you're always ready. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and for me, it was important to be uh, to always stay focused and and by talking constantly talking to the people in front of me and you keep yourself involved in the game but actually the touches of the ball it's not irre- irrelevant but it was you know you, you, 
don't have a great influence on on most games. Yeah, and I think that. Uh, but yeah, going back to the, the same about the, in, the analysis, it never changed. And probably since I stopped playing, it got worse because I couldn't watch. I can't watch a, a game on TV. You know, people who follow me on Twitter will realise that I can't. I'm only getting out what I'm thinking. And it's helped. It's been sort of. It's a bit of therapy, really. Those Twitter like cathartic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's how. Uh, and that's why I got. I mean, Mrs. Nash should probably say that I'm. I'm still addicted to it a little bit. But it, it was. It was. It was a real sort of therapy that everything that was bounced around my head. And instead of shouting at the TV, I'm shouting at everybody else who's following me. Yeah. And uh, of course, that's. Uh, it wasn't a bad thing because then it's, it kind of got me uh, got me noticed in the media. But for for the media, I didn't just do it just to be noticed. The media stuff was all something that I'd always wanted to do. Okay. Always wanted to do. Uh, well, I, I think like people who read your columns and um, hear your punditry will know you're very thoughtful anyway. But I, I don't think it's unfair to say you specifically made a name of yourself for yourself by your analysis of of goalkeeping some might say that's pretty natural as a goalkeeper but to me you're like a a goalkeeping Gary Neville like when he came into punditry people were like whoa where's where's this come from because the 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 level of nuance the level of detail was so great I mean for me I'm someone who watches a lot of football I think I know a reasonable amount about it but to me I think to a lot of people Goalkeeping is still a bit of a mystery. Mm. I, I think I could say broadly what makes a, a good goalkeeper and a, a bad goalkeeper. I, I think not just good saves make a good goalkeeper. I think there's more to it than that. I think you know you need a different type of goalkeeper for teams with different aims and, yeah. and all, all that sort of thing. Some areas it's more about concentration. Some, if you're down at the bottom, it will be about making saves and all that sort of stuff. But you've brought this different layer of to goalkeeping analysis and you know when you when you talk about how someone's set when they're facing a free kick um, their footwork all that sort of stuff why in this age when we have so many statistics in football more than um, ever before and not just guys like you who work in the game but punters yeah. you know, people who watch the game I think we've got an incredibly learned public now more than ever um, because people have so much football that they can watch and they have so many statistics to hand why do we know so, so little about goalkeeping still about the detail of it well I think a lot of it is that people don't want to know because they, they weren't particularly bothered you know, it was. I think people. Why? Because goalkeeper is a convenient scapegoat for your team. Yeah, because I think in the past when people thought about goalkeepers, it's either a case of uh, he saved it or well done. He didn't save it. That was bad. Right. Uh, and it's really sort of oversimplified it. Having said that, you know the level of detail that goes into across the board and out uh, to different positions on the pitch. They could, you know. It could, it could still be specialised um, sort of punditry in, in different positions as well. Like you know, I know it, it can be easy if you get like one defender, one striker. You know, but very rarely is there a, a goalkeeper brought on to you and used particularly for 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 that position or to to analyse that position. It's really rare, isn't it? When it's such a key position in the pitch, and as you were saying before, it's such a it's such a solitary position. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And it takes a lot more. It's, it's a lot more nuanced, and it takes a lot more understanding uh, to uh, to analyse the the position because it's 
like many people have have uh, uh, we've seen before that outfield players don't analyse goalkeepers well because they're not seeing it through from a goalkeeper's eyes. They're right. not seeing it from that position, and this they're either seeing it from where they're stood on the pitch or they're seeing it from the bench. You know, and the only true pos- um, point of view that matters is two eyes in between the posts mm. because it's it's a viewpoint that nobody else on the pitch has got mm. and we um, but actually you can see everything from yeah the exactly yeah and that's why I've always thought that goalkeepers should make we're natural analysts simply because one we've got the best viewpoint yeah and two we've got time to actually think about the game in game players it's sometimes a, a certain midfield player if it's a hectic game they, they play an instinct you know more so than a goalkeeper. Well, a goalkeeper's got. He can think a lot about the game. We can uh, think tactically. Yeah. We can control the game tactically through coaching the defenders and the team in front of us. Yeah. And um, and become a much more pivotal uh, uh, player on the pitch because of the the, the influence they can have um, in that respect. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a funny thing, isn't it? People have always railed against goalkeeper captains for example because mm. people want a chest beating centre half or people want a midfielder who makes loads of tackles or people want a striker who leads from the front but actually as you say because you can actually see what's going on it makes really good sense doesn't it it does but also I agree with the I mean I've been captain a couple of times for clubs I've been at in uh, at Silkbourne and at Aberdeen and yeah I loved it you know I probably times took on the responsibility too much and took on the burden that you know if things don't go right then you mm. take, it, it hits you a little bit harder but at the same time um, I can I can see why uh, some managers don't give the captaincy to goalkeepers simply because that's a goalkeeper's job a goalkeeper's job is to instruct and coach from the back and to be vocal so it's like uh, he's not a captain because he's a captain anyway so we can, if we can use that uh, you know if it's a quiet side that mm. armband might bring that out of the leadership out of somebody else further forward and be more influential further up the pitch okay. whereas a goalkeeper can't really influence defensively and uh, in, the, in his own half but maybe he can't have that influence further up the pitch so um, yeah, I, I don't, don't see a problem with, uh, with would you say though generally keepers are still a bit undervalued I mean you know you look at the transfer record for for, for Buffon which stood for well, nearly 20 years mm. which which is absolutely amazing the world record transfer for a goalkeeper until it was broken by Alisson and Kepa and especially with Alisson yeah, yeah. seeing the difference he's made to Liverpool there's, there's no one's arguing about that, that fee now but still there's the feeling that People, I mean, the Kepa situation was different and to yeah. do with how athletic Bilbao do things. But do you think there's still a bit of a, a, a reticence to acknowledge just how important goalkeepers are? Because it's a position that could make or break your, break your season. You know, with without a great goalkeeper, you're not winning trophies. No. That, that is the long and the short of it. Do, do you think it, there is a kind of lack of respect even in the industry over what a great goalkeeper's worth. Yeah, well, things are changing, of course, with the, um, the, the the fees that are being paid are com- coming more in line with outfield players. Yeah. But it, even see, uh, you know, you look at someone like David de Gea at uh, Manchester United. People are talking whether, you know, sh- should they give him three hundred thousand pound a week? Well, he's been the most important player of that club for the last six, seven years, yeah. maybe longer, and 
Yeah. Why wouldn't they give him that money? Why wouldn't they put him in line with the the strikers, yeah. uh, the likes of Alexis Sanchez? Why didn't they put him in line with them? It just seems a no-brainer. They shouldn't be asked that question just because he's a goalkeeper. Mm. Uh, but things are changing because of, uh, tactically and down to philosophy, goalkeepers are a big part of that now. Uh, it, it, sons here, Ali Keita uh, and Sixter Moline, who are, uh, and Andrew Mills, another Englishman, mm. uh, three goalkeepers here who wouldn't be here if they weren't exceptional with their feet. And especially in the case of Ali Keita, he's so influential in the way that we play here. Mm. That it's Everything starts with him, so that if he's not there, then it's, it has a knock-on effect all the way up the pitch. And, yeah. um, and I think it's... When, when it comes to... he's For example, he's out of contract at the end of the season, and in my eyes, it's imperative that we keep hold of him because, like I said, it... it goalkeeper like him are very difficult to find yeah and um, and I think that's where I'd certainly be saying to, to to the person who holds the purse strings here that yeah don't worry about thinking can we give this to a goalkeeper then you think can we give this amount of money to the mo- one of the most influential players on the pitch so it's it's to me positional Positionally, it's it's irrelevant. You look at fullbacks now. Fullbacks mm. were often, you know, the just above goalkeepers in the pecking order. Now the, you know, the, the, yeah, they're possibly some of them in some teams the most important players in the pitch. So it it, it depends on the the philosophy and the and the side they're in. So you, you talked about working with the goalkeepers here at Ostersunds. I mean. How how does it work the dynamic with being a, a a goalkeeper coach? I mean, obviously it's your specialty. It's been your specialty mm. for for over twenty years, but I mean it's a big responsibility, isn't it? Working with them as a small team, and it is a very small team, so you're slightly away from the group, and also how do they how do they they support each other? I mean, you must know that as a player as well. Like how how does it work to have that sort of support network but knowing at the end of it, it c- there can only be one yeah it's it's vitally important that, that everyone in my eyes everyone's closer in my career probably came across one or two goalkeepers who were um, had a less of a, a team ethic when it comes to goalkeeping you know right. very, okay, people can be single minded and selfish but I think in in the, the small department that we have together that it's important that everyone supports each other fully so like today is a prime example that Sixty uh, Moline, 22 years old um, very good young goalkeeper um, came into the sides before the the mid-season break uh, when Ali was injured did really well to start with and then um, maybe not so well for a couple of games came back out when Ali, uh, when Ali came back in fit mm. Ali went away at the Afri- African Nations for two games uh, Sixons came in doing really well Ali's back from the African Nation now and he's and he's out now mm. there was no throwing the top of course he's disappointed not to be playing uh, but there's no uh, throwing the toys out the pram uh, is that is that an age thing partly though because I mean you know we see that again and again with, in Italy for example you know you get a goalkeeper that is, is brought in and does really well when he's 2021 20, and then might have to sit out and suck it up on the bench for a, a couple of years you know you really have to earn trust and you know people people feel that you have to you almost have to have a few miles on the clock yeah. to 
to, to, to be able to be relied upon yeah there is that but also it's it, having uh, like your own small department personal relationships are going to be closer than, sure. than maybe the couple of coaches in there with the rest of the, the squad of course everyone tries to build bonds and relationships mm. but I think it's it's more personal with goalkeepers and because of like we've talked about the, the mental battles that you can have uh, as a goalkeeper and the, the setbacks that you can have it's important that you do have that support and, and I spend a lot of time that not just with uh, you know out on the pitch with them but having chats you know, after you know, after things have happened in games, if they have setbacks, or if, especially if things have gone well as well. And is that it? Are you more of a psychological coach than than other parts of the coaching staff, maybe? Because yeah, that's yeah, such I'd, a huge I'd, part of the the role. Yeah, I'd say so. And it's more about money. You know, a goalkeeping coach now, it's not about going uh, having forty minutes before the they go and join with the the rest of the squad. It's not about just and then you know doing some technical work with them. As the years have gone on. Uh, and uh, goalkeeping has sort of evolved. You spend less and less time doing that, the traditional goalkeeper work. If you go on a goalkeeping course now, it's far more about um, tactical work, how to uh, integrate goalkeepers into systems and how they would fit into to different teams. What you were talking about, it, the goalkeeper being like the first playmaker. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh, and and less about the, the the technique side of it yeah. and um and and now it's it, it's it's fully integrated you know so now I, I probably spend less time with them with myself and more with the rest of the squad and working with them while they're inside uh, sort of the the sort of uh, a bit a bigger a big umbrella of, of what the the squad is doing tactically i mean does does that sort of help really being being part of it all not just because it is very much a team sport but also because you know it always struck me that goalkeeping training is, is quite repetitive mm. uh, when, when I watch a, a lot of goalkeepers train and you know I've, I've seen you try to mix it up getting the tennis racket and the the, the balls out and yeah. you know I understand there's a there's a science behind that but making it fun and making it engaging I mean, in any level of teaching, whether you're teaching school kids or whether you're a coach, that's really important, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's moved on massively and changed massively in the last 10 years when it comes down to, to sports science as well. Mm. You're not getting, you're not doing sets of 12 where you're diving up and down, up and down, up and down. So you're physically exhausted at the end of it because it doesn't happen in the game. So why do it in training? Yeah. But of course, you you have to train at the higher intensity and higher level of the games so the game is, is becomes easier. But... Mm. Um, the, the philosophies are totally changing now it's about well um, if you don't do it in a game why would you do it in training yeah it's, it's, it's more it's, it's a more functional training and creating situations that happen in games rather than yeah of course it repetitive stuff and, and technical stuff when you're correcting technique it has a purpose but once you get to to the level we're at and, and first team level, it's about it's it's more about how they uh, they fit into the team as a, in in games yeah. dealing with game type situations, and and more often than not, goalkeeping is less about hands and feet and more about decisions. Yeah, and you make the right decisions more often than not than. Uh, the technique and, uh, and and physical side of it means less. Can you see yourself being a head coach eventually? Do you know what? When I, when I was still playing, I had a very fixed um, fixed mind on how I would approach if I was going to be a coach, and I, and I thought, yeah, that's definitely for me. 
and as I came out of uh, came out of playing and, and, and sort of coaching that I thought well you know maybe it wasn't for me I'm not I wouldn't I would never say never mm. but I think that for me it's specializing in, in what I do now and being able to go into as much detail as I do now I think and do you I, think you'd have to spread yourself too thinly as a head coach yeah and, and I think that's why I admire people like Bielsa people who other people think are crazy because they, 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 it overtakes their lives yeah because they have to make sure that if they go into as much detail as they want to they have to spend every waking hour working on it and thinking about it and it's not that I don't do that with goalkeeping but it just means that it allows me to go into so much more detail and uh, and I'm happy with that because it, it, it it's, it's more than enough for me and the funny thing about it is that I came out of full-time coaching a couple of years ago to, to do uh, to to work in the media and yeah. uh, for family reasons my daughter was up in Newcastle so I needed time to see her so mm. then it was Obviously, working weekends with football, and it wasn't it wasn't working for me. So I took a bit of time away, and it, it took so much of time adjusting from playing to civilian life yeah. to getting back to some some kind of normality. And then I've thrown myself back into it again, and and here I am obsessing about things, obsessing about free kicks, corners, yeah. and do you know what I mean? It's I don't know if, whether I am crazy for doing it, you know, but it's I know that I'm having a hell of a time doing it. And uh, and when you're right in the middle of, of football the way I am now, you wonder why you would ever want to be out, outside of it. This was a Radio Staccato production. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.